so that if you uh, don't hear it all or if somebody wants to hear it later, they can hear it. Uh, we're going to post it as a podcast. I have three things I want to say as an introduction to this strange sermon. Uh, that is, first of all, we're, we're kicking off our uh, sermon series, our fall sermon series on questions, on uh, our questions of faith, uh, by sharing our own questions. It turns out that our big questions were the same big questions. We didn't plan that. Uh, but, but what we're going to do is share our, our ideas on, on one topic, and then we'll discuss it a little bit with Alice keeping us on, on our time schedule. The second thing I wanted to say is that some of the things that you hear from us this this morning may be a great relief to you. Other things might uh, disturb you, might uh, make you feel uncomfortable, in which case, please, please contact us and let's wrestle through it. That's what faith community is for, is sorting through these issues together. And then finally, uh, as we were preparing for this, what occurred to me is that in fact this wrestling with questions is what we do every Sunday when we get in the pulpit. It might not be as apparent to you as this exercise will be, but that's exactly what we do every Sunday morning. And then we share it with you, kind of pre-packaged. This is less (laughs) pre-packaged. This is like whole food. (laughs) Unprocessed. Well, so uh, I'll start with, with, the, with the first big question. It's, the, I think, the most, most basic, most foundational questions, and that is, does God exist? Now, I don't struggle with this a lot, but I think it's fair to bring up that I, as well as most people I know, have those moments when I'm thinking, is anybody out there? I used a line in a sermon I gave in... Uh, I think it was last month, maybe it was July, which means most of you weren't here. (laughs) um, It's a line that's very important to me, which is, faith is what I do between the last time I experienced God and the next time I experienced God. And when I say experience God, I don't mean something um, big or flashy or miraculous. I know there are people who get to experience God that way. I don't. My experience of God is much more subtle. Uh, I experience God in uh, conversations that are authentic and vulnerable in which people reveal themselves and come to some new understanding. That's a God moment for me. I experience God when somebody speaks truth to power, uh, in music and dancing, in nature. Um, I experience God in community very much. I I can experience God in a really good book or movie uh, that tells me something I didn't know before and shows me something in a new way about uh, courage or love. Uh, One of my favorite movies deals with this issue of how you explain to people something that you know, you believe in your heart, uh, but you can't prove. Uh, That's the 1990s movie Contact. Uh, In that movie, uh, the main character is a scientist. She develops a relationship with an ex-priest who describes for her a God moment that was very real and powerful to him, and her response is, "Mm, you know, didn't you really just kind of want that to be the case? Basically dismissing her experience. And then she has an encounter with extraterrestrials, which she can't prove. There's no proof. And at the end of the movie, she's echoing the ex-priest by saying, it was real, it was powerful, I can't prove it to you. I wish all of you could experience what I experienced. And that's what faith is to me. 
So I would say doubts, and this question of does God exist, is like my central doubt. Like, it plagued me in college. I lost a lot of sleep. Because I just thought if I read enough books and studied hard enough, I was a religion major, I would figure this out, or I'd find that one theologian that really had it figured out. And um, that has never proven to be helpful. I mean, it was a helpful process and exercise. But when I come back to why am I here and what keeps me from running out the door someday is just being like, this is the wrong profession for me or just the wrong everything, it's because I actually have had some really big, powerful moments that I can't explain to you. And I have tried very hard to say, oh, I wanted that to happen. It was indigestion. It was something. <laughs> but if I'm really honest, and I don't like talking about it because I can't explain it or put words around it, but it's happened more than once. And it's those moments to me that have been absolutely reassuring and affirming and filled with love. And it comes and then it goes. And I didn't do anything, I don't think, to make it happen. I just feel really excited that it did. And I have all these kind of similar things, the way you're saying, like in community and in beautiful conversations, vulnerability and injustice. Uh, but I think if I'm really honest, it's these, you know, six times in my life where I can say, that wasn't me at all. That's what keeps me going, is that hope that, that maybe there can be more of those. I can be more open to them. And does that take away all of my intellectual insecurities? No. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure it out. But it helps me keep going. And I would say one of the things that, that I have learned along the, the path is that uh, if your theology, whatever you believe about God, isn't rooted in your actual experience, then I don't want to hear about it. Right? And... And if you can put God in a box, if you can say this is God and very clearly define it, then I think you've lost God. Because I think God, whatever this mystery is, is bigger. Um, until those days where I'm like, eh, I don't know. Two things. I, I'm, yeah. gl I'm glad you mentioned that about the God in the box thing. Mm -hmm. That's hugely important to me. That, that uh, I think uh, a lot of what our theology does, and, and I'll say some more about theology in a minute, is... Is, is tries to tries to put God in a box that that in a way that pretends that that God isn't a mystery. Right. So thank you for bringing that up. And the, but the other thing I want to ask is, so what do you say to a kid who says you can't prove God? You can't prove God. What do you say? Well, amen to that. I mean, if you can prove it, right? Like I have the best-selling book of all times, but I don't. And, um, and I think that's the problem is we have these experiences and we're like, this is how it works and we're so excited and we want to share it and then we put God in this box. It's very systematic. And I have yet to experience that to hold in all situations. The, the other kind of thing that we've talked about is, you know, whatever your faith is, it has to work for you when you're in the emergency room, right? Like when you're facing the worst thing of your life, if your theology doesn't work, if it doesn't bring you some sort of comfort, if it all falls apart, then you need a new one. You know, that means your, your God in the box couldn't stand up to that ER visit. And I think that's a really healthy thing to do. You know, it's a really healthy thing to have your faith fall apart and you have to build a better one. But it's also just hard and scary and lonely. But that's my experience. Do you mean by that, for example, 
like if you had a theology that was if I were good enough, bad things wouldn't happen to me. Yeah, yeah that's and that's and you know from an educational perspective, what is the stat that you know if you go to church every Sunday from the time you're born to the time you're 18, you'll have the equivalent of like a first grade education, you know. And so if you stay in that, if you stay in the Sunday school mindset, right? Like Sunday school is great because it's age appropriate, but at a certain point, we need something with a little bit more questions. And, and depth, and we have to allow ourselves to, to get there, and it's really hard to teach that without some life experience. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. <laughs> I think we might have chosen that passage for this, yeah. Let's, uh, let's go on to the, the second one. Okay. Say, did you want to say something about theology? Well, that comes into this, okay. which my, and my next big question, our next big question is also fundamental, foundational, who is Jesus? <laughs> Uh, the, the Gospels are, are, uh, have a sort of mixed approach to who Jesus is, and then, of course, the Church developed uh, a detailed and complex theology about who Jesus is, and some of that is hugely wonderful and useful. For example, uh, the theology that Jesus is fully human and fully God is, is, is meaningful to me because it, it allows us to have some vision of who God is that we don't otherwise have. If God is like Jesus, hooray, you know. And it also gives us a picture of what humanity can be. That's, that's, a, that's a wonderful way of looking at things. Bottom line is you can't prove any of it. And, uh, and the fact is that's not, where, that's not where my heart lands. My heart doesn't land in the Nicene Creed. Where my heart lands is in what Jesus was absolutely consistent about in all the Gospels, which is follow me, follow Jesus, be Jesus' disciples. So I, I land hard there. And, and what that means is, at minimum, love your neighbor as yourself, love God, um, and move in to co-create the kingdom of God with, with God here and now. Amen. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it's... You know, the whole uh, human God and the same person thing, that has given me lots of sleepless nights too, right? But it, it comes down to this idea of incarnation and that God can be and wants to be in human flesh. And that is so exciting to me. It, you know, again, like, it feels, um, it feels life-giving. Um, and, and I cringe every time I hear the creeds, you know, both ends. Um, I would say that... What I love about Jesus is not just follow me, it's that his path is this reforming path. And that there is, it is hard to follow Jesus. And it is challenging, and I don't always like it. I don't like him. But I also see that along this path, it's, it's beautiful. And the people we meet, and the, the path is beautiful. You know, I like Jesus. I like Jesus. <laughs> I like Jesus a lot. I want to have a beer with Jesus. Really? <laughs> Yeah, maybe. I mean, he's a partier, right? I mean, that, that sounds great. Um, but he's also, he's going to have some, like, unsavory folks at that party. And that's the part that's, you know, yes, it's not it the pretty pe people that are going to have beer with Jesus. That's, yeah. that's the part where I'm like, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, uh, the, yeah, the incarnation you know, God, God, man, also, I would say light in the darkness is my favorite metaphor for Jesus. Because it seems to me that, but to me, that's kind of who, that's the embodiment, that's the, the metaphor I can wrap my head around, is, is, is he's pointing the way to God and to the better life and to the kind of world I want. 
It, uh, Herman Weichen isn't here. He was my New Testament professor, as many of you know. One of, his, one of the ways he talked about Jesus was uh, Jesus is the, the, the first new person, the first new human being. Uh, and then we're all, we're all called to join in that new humanity mm-hmm. with Jesus. That's, mm-hmm. that's a useful metaphor for me. And, and when it comes right down to it, this is what I want to say about theology, it's all poetry. It's all metaphors. We, we, we can't prove any of it, but we find useful words that help us explain what we experience. Yes, absolutely. You want to talk about the next one? I'll introduce our group. Can't move that way. Uh, so the next, our third thing, our common concern or doubt was this understanding of afterlife. Is there one? If so, is there one up above and one down below? And how do you get in? Or how do you stay out? <laughs> and that's the question that, that kind of led me to searching deeper when I was in college. Um, quick story. So my, my birthday after my first year in college, I asked for a concordance. And for those of you who don't know, and this is pre-computer concordance, it's this book, and it takes every word in the Bible, and then it tells you how many times it's in the Bible and where. It's really nerdy. <laughs> and I wanted one badly. And, and for my 19th birthday, I got one. And then I spent much of that summer looking at it and looking up heaven and hell and devil and Satan, and it just didn't add up, and there wasn't a whole lot of argumentation to be found. So I went and I talked to our like our pastor of our church. And um, after about an hour of arguing with him, he finally said, Diana, I don't know. And then I'll, I'll never forget this part. He said, but I trust God with my life, and I will trust God in my death. And I thought, I can live with that. I can live with that. And so for me, I think this question of heaven and hell is, for me, one of motivation. Like, I don't need the stick out in front of me with a carrot on it to get me to go and do good things. Like, I don't want my motivation to get to be to some reward um, later. I want to do good works now because I can, and because that makes me feel more alive. And and when I think about justice, I feel like heaven and hell can kind of get in the way because one can say, well, you know, maybe not in this life, but in the next life, they're going to get what's coming to them. And I just think, well, but that doesn't stop the suffering today. You know, like that doesn't. It gets in the way, I think, a little bit of saying, let's, let's change today for today's sake and for tomorrow's sake, and whatever happens in death happens or doesn't happen. But ashes to ashes and dust to dust, and I'm going to be okay with it. Amen. Uh, th- uh, this was one of my issues, not because it's something that I, that I struggle with much at all, because frankly, it's not something I, I spend a lot of time thinking about. Similarly, I, I don't think that what happens to us after we die is the most important issue of, of our faith. It's just, it's really not what we're supposed to be spending time thinking about. Uh, as far as the afterlife goes, I hope there's a heaven. Mm-hmm. I trust there is not hell. And in fact, I, I left the church when I was a teenager because I was led to believe or had the understanding that if you didn't believe there was such a thing as hell, you couldn't be a Christian. And I didn't want to have anything to do with a God who would condemn people to eternal torment for any reason whatsoever, but especially because of what they believed. Didn't want to have anything to do with it. Found out, in fact, mm-hmm. you, if, if you didn't go to Don Emmel's class on uh, hell and Satan. Most of what we believe about hell and Satan, and heaven for that matter, is cultural, not biblical. Mm-hmm. 
spend some time on it if you if you want. We can talk about it, but you know, it it, it certainly didn't come from from the Hebrew tradition. Um, and where I where I sort of rest is with what Paul said, uh, which is that nothing in life or in death can separate us from the love of God in Christ. I don't know what that means. There's we, there's so much about. Um, you know, stuff in the culture, paranormal experiences, you know, near-death experiences, doesn't match up to scripture, that's for sure. I don't know what we're supposed to make of that stuff. I don't know. I don't know. But I trust that in life and in death, we belong to God. Uh, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And whatever that means, we will find out on the other side. And, and I'm just, I'm okay with that. Yeah, and also... I like the idea of heaven. I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, the spirituals are so beautiful because they come out of slavery and they come out of this deep desire and hope in God. And they use, they talk about, they talk about heaven and I love that. And I need to sing those on my bad days. So, so yeah. But it's not the, it's not the thing that motivates my life in that sense. And I, I can, with, with deep sincerity and honesty, hold the, hold the hand of a person who's dying or whose loved one is dying and who says, you know, they're going to be in a better place and say, yeah, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm all behind that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not what I spend my time thinking about. Right. But yeah. I hope for it. Yeah. 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 How do we end this? <laughs> We're not going to take questions. Um, <laughs> Just because of the time. Um, so I would like to say something just about my own, what I said to you earlier about tithing. So I grew up in a Presbyterian church that said, ask a lot of questions, but I started asking really big questions, and then I kind of got this, well, you know, there are some answers that are better than others. You know, you can read that book, but just know he's a little, he's a little out there. Um, and then I got to college, and I did, kept asking questions, and, um, and I didn't have a support I didn't have a support network. I didn't. I had all these doubts, and no one who was like, "Yeah, right on, way to be a Christian." I was like, "No, you guys are crazy, and you you believe in all this stuff." And it wasn't until I got to seminary that I had a community that that could hold the questions and that could hold me as a child of God asking these questions. And so that's where I would just say, "Community, we gotta hold each other, and and love and love each other when we're we're having these." these questions, especially when death happens, especially when we're young adults and asking, you know, experiencing new things for the first time. So, so I feel like this all comes back to let's find people, you know, if you have questions and doubts, let's talk. There's, there's a, a wonderful um, Rilke, uh, Rene Maria Rilke quote about living the questions. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's the call of the church is to live these questions and, and, and move toward uh, what God is calling us to be and what Jesus shows us we can be. I give amen. An amen. Amen. All right. All right. I am stopping this recording here.